0: Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of Guido Talks, where we review the last week in politics, in stories, in gossip, on the Guido Fox website. And what a week it has been. We've had some properly big stories really cut through this week. So let's dive right in with where everything started on Monday. And that was the publication of Sage Documents from September which show that that scientific advisory committee on emergencies advised the government as one of five options to go for what's called a circuit breaker lockdown. Now, this would be a time limited lockdown of much more of a greater severity than anything that we've seen uh, since the initial lockdown. And the government chose to not opt for that and took some other recommendations instead. Now, the Labour Party's made a lot of hay out of that this week. How have they done that pool?
1: Uh, They decided to call for, Starmer decided to call for a circuit breaker. He um, had a 5pm press conference on Tuesday. We got wind of it about half an hour earlier and uh, led with that exclusive, which triggered a load of people. Uh, He... I think was pushed into the whole decision because he was getting a lot of criticism from his left-wing flank in particular that he wasn't opposing the government. And now he had an evidence-based, i.e. the evidence of SAGE calling for it, uh, uh, opportunity to get some uh, differentiation between him and the government. It's a risky strategy for him. It could backfire. Uh, Boris has dug in. I think we had a more spirited PMQs for once where Boris firmly rejected a national lockdown. Now, we're going to see a lot of regional lockdowns. London's been announced today. But the idea of having a time-limited circuit-breaker lockdown, well, last the last lockdown was supposed to be for three weeks and ended up for three months. I don't think the economy could handle it. I think people understand that. But surprisingly, when polled, people say they prefer a lockdown. So it's a bit of... Um, discordance between what you think people want and what most people in the private sector seem to want and what people tell pollsters.
0: Well, I think there is that key difference there. When the question is a two-week lockdown so everything can open up again, that's a very attractive prospect. I think I'd, I'd want that, you know. Okay, fine, we'll sacrifice two weeks and then we can all get back to normal. The fact is that that's simply not what would happen. Two weeks is nowhere near long enough, clearly, to stop a rising number of cases, hospitalizations and deaths, because of the three-week lag that we know that this disease has at the very least. So, of course, it would be at the very least three weeks, most probably because there's a lag between getting cases and hospitalisations, and then a further lag to deaths. So it would be really months until the number of deaths started to go down again. And at what, what position, how, how could any government sort of look, uh, look, uh, look down the barrel of a camera and say, right, we're lifting this lockdown as deaths are continuing to rise? I think it's clear that this just wouldn't work. But finally, you're right the Labour Party has a different policy. For the first time in seven months, they actually have put their flag in the sand. And, uh, and that made for a very interesting PMQs. Kaugi, uh, can you talk us through that?
2: Yeah, um, as part of this PMQs uh, that was far better spectacle than usual, uh, Sakia claims that all 10 local council leaders in Manchester had signed a declaration backing his call for a circuit breaker lockdown. And when you went and looked at this statement, it was immediately obvious that that wasn't the case, because it actually said that some of the local leaders believed that if if cases continue to rise and if the stage three lockdown didn't work, then that would have to be uh, the result. But it was very clear that not all of them were unanimous. And so I gave the Bolton Tory council leader a call, and he was absolutely furious that Starmer had, you know, clearly, you know, this is a guy who is director of public prosecutions, and at the very least, uh, often has an eye for detail, uh, and had completely claimed the opposite of, of what the leader of Bolson Council believed. And he demanded Starmer went back and retracted it. He didn't. There was a point of order where an MP Uh, tried to get the record corrected and Starmer's uh, stayed pretty tight-lipped and uh, the Tories were not happy. Do you think that he dropped the ball there, that he simply was poorly
0: briefed or didn't know what was going on? Or do you think it's something slightly more um, mendacious, that he deliberately knew that what he said was untruthful, but he said it anyway?
1: There was a um, comment from Starmer's people that the Bolton mayor or leader of the council rather hadn't signed off or hadn't rejected something that was signed off. So they were kind of inferring incorrectly as it turned out that he uh, uh, took a position that he didn't really take.
2: Obviously you can't accuse a member of lying in the house. Uh, So everyone was being very tiptoeing around it. But I think let's put it this way, the Bolton leader of the council, the Tory Bolton leader, would certainly uh, say that it was a, an absolutely disgraceful misrepresenting of his personal views. Uh, and yes, that's as far as they were willing to go. <laughs>
0: he didn't hold back his words of criticism for oh, Starr, no. um, uh, who he demanded, of course, come back to the House and apologise. But that wasn't the only angry politician from Bolton that we saw this week, Cowgill. <laughs> who else? Who else had a little bit of an outburst?
2: Goodness me! Yes, we we had a, a Bolton Tory MP, Chris Green, resign as a PPS, the most junior ministerial rung you can imagine, uh, over the government's implementation of lockdown. This is the second PPS role that Chris Green has resigned over. Uh, The consensus is he won't be getting a third. uh, And uh, (laughs) it it coincided also with the PM's 1922 Zoom call. So whilst it was an event, uh, it was immediately drowned out and it was so low key that it didn't really have any effect, but he wasn't very happy.
0: It was a good excuse, however, for us to get out our recently created list of PPSs, uh, or as we've titled it, the Government Big Hitters List. Uh, Now, that's a little bit sarcastic. I'm not sure if anyone could uh, quite tell that. Um, But no, so there there isn't any sort of public database of which MP is uh, PPS Mm. to which uh, minister or whatever. So we collated that. Was it last week or was it the week before? I
2: I think it was the week before then, but it's, yeah, it's a very useful, database and also readers should bear in mind that because it's the first rung an awful lot of 2019 intake MPs are being uh, promoted much to the consternation of the 2017 intake MPs who feel they're being overlooked and even further to the consternation of should we put it white straight male MPs who feel that various characteristics are being bumped up the rungs faster than they otherwise might be.
0: Right. Well, all of these uh, elements of consternation, these uh, outbursts, these resignations were at the start of the week and it felt like everything was building up to something. And that something dropped on Thursday, which was, of course, that finally it was announced that London was going to be moving up into tier two of the lockdown. Not just London, but also Essex and a couple of other places as well. But obviously, the largest city in the country, a city with a population larger than Scotland, larger than Wales, uh, has now been put into uh, a much higher degree of restriction than it has seen for for months and months. And This is going to come into effect on uh, midnight at Friday, or one minute past midnight, just on Saturday morning. How long was this going
1: to be for?
0: It is uh, open-ended. This is one of the things that Sadiq Khan has been um, sort of challenging the government on, because there was clearly there is a level at which a city or a region enters uh, tier two, but there hasn't yet been agreed a level of of prevalence of coronavirus whereby a region can leave tier two so that hasn't yet been agreed but i think a lot of local authority leaders are very much pushing for that to be agreed and that to be there as a standard and something to aim for
1: because i'm i'm doing this zoom from uh, lockdown ireland where we just had new restrictions which don't allow you to go into anyone else's house unless it's a uh, urgent or mm. exceptional or your uh, emergency worker or, or the usual kind of medical reasons and this is for a fixed term it's for four yeah. weeks Mm. It is interesting,
0: actually, if you look across um, in France, just on Thursday, they instituted a new rule of six, which they haven't had up until this week. It it looks like basically lots of European countries are following exactly the same course, doing very similar measures. But it is also interesting to note that different populations are giving different approval ratings to their different Mm. governments, even though a lot of them are doing basically the same thing.
2: Of course, Macron also praised uh, UK track and trace, as well as copying the rule of six. Uh, So clearly, by European standards, uh, the PM isn't doing everything uh, wrong. Uh, But we got wind of this on Wednesday afternoon, didn't we? Uh, That's that's right. I,
0: I was getting a couple of messages that there were some London MPs who were in discussions with number 10 and and we spoke with some MPs some some of whom uh, didn't really know some knew that there was a meeting that would go on on the Thursday but didn't think that this meeting would be anything extraordinary but then there were some other sources that we spoke to who are really quite confident we ended up not running anything on the site because we couldn't be absolutely sure and perhaps we should have lent into uh saying that there is this rumor going round. but of course we don't want to uh But are outright fabrications. So
2: we what what was certainly yeah what was certainly not clear was whether it was going to be borough by borough, and the there was still a lot of lobbying going on, especially from Tory MPs. If you think who are out um, up in the sticks in the northeast or down in Carlsholton or Richmond or or uh, Wembley not Wembley uh, you know I don't know London Uh, but you know there's a lot of anger an awful lot of anger. Um,
1: if you about- look at the London, if you look at the London uh, Corona map, there's a very clear line along the Thames where South of London isn't, um, as much of a hotspot as North London, so I, I wonder if they can no. at least <laughs> have... <laughs> because there's no transport
2: links in the south. I mean, it's very, that, that's why it stops at Elephant and Castle; it doesn't go any further. Um, and even with that, the south is still a less appealing place to live and work and socialise than the that hotspot very north. Day.
0: <laughs> As a proud resident of South London, I take great offence at that. I think it's simply because the people of South London are sticking to the rules better. No, I don't know. Um, but there, there is a there is a funny thing, though, isn't it? The highest R rate is in Scotland, which is fur- furthest north, the worst hit areas in the UK are the highest, uh, the sort of uh, furthest north. And the further south you go, there seems to be the less corona you get. Um,
2: it's an interesting just corona cor- coronavirus coronavirus struggles with the, with the balmy warmth that we've been enjoying <laughs> down south Bar- all this time literally <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> of, of course that applies to ireland as well because northern ireland has an r rating and an incidence level a multiple of uh of um the republic and it's a big issue over here in ireland and in the border counties they are introducing tougher measures and they're blaming it on people coming across the border um, to go across the Irish Republicans. Are you, are you saying the Republic are proposing a hard border on the island of Ireland? No, what, no, they're not proposing that. They are, let's be honest, pissed off with their fellow countrymen going across the border to drink in Northern Irish pubs as they were <laughs> able to do a recently. Well, well this is exactly drink, what was... Uh, south of the border. This is what was going on in
0: Bolton as well, which initially I I understand, or was it Wigan, that didn't have the same lockdown as Manchester did. And so all of these taxi firms that were sort of uh, based in central Manchester, that were suddenly put out of work by the lockdown restrictions, started offering discounted rates to ship people out of Manchester, just outside of the restrictions, so they could all go and drink in in those towns that weren't affected. And of course, now they're under lockdown as well.
1: Are we reluctantly coming to the conclusion that alcohol is a factor in the spread of the virus? Absolutely no. not. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. But uh, uh,
2: what, I'm, what, what I'm particularly I think we're going to, to have to admit
1: it, it in the end.
2: You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you can admit
0: no. all
1: you want. Alcohol I'm, I'm, doesn't I'm,
0: spread corona, people spread corona.
1: But people have the alcohol, and I'm not keen it either.
2: Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm very aware that I'm going to finish Sober October, and by that point, London will have gone into Tier 3, and all the pubs will have bloody closed. Um, but that's just my luck.
0: Oh, but no, it's fine. We're allowed alcohol in pubs, aren't we, with a, with a substantial meal under Tier 3. It's like we've regressed to being 16-year-olds again. Can Um, we
1: get off the pub and the corona subject? I mean, we've done it every week now. Let's move on to... We have, we have, because there has
0: been substantive news. There is something going on on Thursday and Friday in Brussels, and that is the European Council Summit. And this is the the decision point, the pivotal point that Boris Johnson set out uh, three or four weeks ago now that says, you know what, if there isn't sufficient progress made by this summit, we are walking, we are going and preparing full throttle for no deal. However, what we've been hearing, and particularly from people around David Frost, the chief negotiator, um, is that even though there's a lot of heat and noise in the media a deal is actually incredibly close. There's only two real uh, points of contrition left, and that's uh, level playing field state aid provisions and fish. And I think that there's a path that a lot of people can see, whereby this Conservative government accepts, hang on, we probably don't want to be doing a hell of a lot of state intervention, state aid anyway, and the EU relaxes their position on fish recognizing the uk as an independent independent coastal state and you can sort of see that movement bringing together a deal that most people can be happy with a canada a canada style free trade agreement and what the word around the negotiations is at the moment is that people in david frost's team believe that can be achieved in the next two weeks and that would be a very significant moment if what what, what no one thought was possible especially with the pandemic being the context of all of this a free trade deal had been concluded in less than 11 months that would be extraordinary that would be a massive political
1: moment I think it's more likely than not I don't understand why the papers are so pessimistic I think it's a misdirection frankly
0: Yes, one of the things that we ran this week was actually there's quite a movement building on the continent now, particularly of business leaders saying, guys, come on, this is close. It's not far away. You can both see how a deal could be reached. For the sake of jobs on the continent and businesses on the continent, you need to reach a deal. The leaders of the equivalent of the CBI, the, the big business um, representative bodies in Italy and France and Germany signed a joint letter that we published on the site on Wednesday evening ahead of the council that was basically chivying the EU side along saying, don't play games now, get a deal done.
1: Incidentally, those of you who uh, contacted me about uh, the bets I made on Tom not becoming the spokesman should know that I've been betting very heavily on uh the deal being struck so uh if you want to get your money on down the bookies that's my tip another tip is um don't go up against darren grimes the police have um had a sort of move to step down and that was just arthur starmer had sort of doubled down against grimes over he should be prosecuted for um was it incitement to racial hatred
2: yeah, I mean, this is uh, it, it just a mental policy position because it wasn't—it wasn't just Starmer who spoke to LBC, and uh, as far as possible endorsed the police action against uh, Starmer, saying, "I does it does sometimes have to involve the police uh, uh, that a line can be crossed, and it's important it can be investigated." This was following. Uh, Carl Turner MP who is a Hull MP but also a shadow justice minister uh, with Labour who said freedom of speech doesn't afford people the freedom to make racist remarks and let's just back up here even if you agree with that it was not Darren who made the remarks he was interviewing David Starkey and the precedent it would set uh, that interviewers cannot preside over something offensive being said by their interviewee for fear of arrest uh, is, it it boggles the mind, but it's not unsurprising because Starmer has a history uh, at the CPS of dragging people through the courts for offending people on Twitter. Um, uh, When he was director of public prosecutions, he dragged a man called Paul Chambers through the courts on the basis of a Twitter joke, Uh, cost him his job, hundreds of thousands uh, and eventually lost thank goodness but uh, Starmer is not someone who can be trusted to defend basic human rights by the look of it.
1: Anyway Starmer's (laughs) timing was very off because the Met police have emailed uh, Darren and said that they are putting a senior officer to look into the proportionality of the um, investigation, by which I mean they're going to find it's disproportionate use of police resources and no further action will be required. Talking of which, no further action, can you believe that Ferrier, the, you know, the, the SNP MP, who travelled around like Plague Mary, the police decided not to do anything about her. I mean, that seems to be crazy. It
2: does it's seem staggering. extraordinary
0: that not only that, but she continues to be an SNP member. She's been suspended from the part, from the, uh, she's, she's lost the whip. She's had the whip suspended from her in the House of Commons. But she, her membership of the party continues, which seems to be utterly, utterly extraordinary. Um, it's, it's quite interesting how the SNP have been found out a little bit about this. Uh, this week, actually, because Ferrier herself gave an interview to the Scottish SUM, which revealed a little bit more about the timeline of, of the course of events, i.e. she explained that she didn't write the statement that she put out to the press that was written by SNP spin doctors. And one of the lines in that statement was, I have reported myself to the police. So the SNP were chivying her to report herself to the police before they got the statement out, so the statement wouldn't directly lie. And the SNP told her, according to her in this interview in the Scottish Sun, uh, the SNP told her that they would be able to contain this, that she would be able to continue. Uh, and yet they uter- We know this uh, an hour know- after it came out.
1: We know this because there's a growing uh, salmon-sturgeon uh, knife fight. Well, is that the right metaphor? There's certainly moves between them. Since she um, dropped in minute over uh, the cover-up of the sexual assault allegations, she's obviously now suffering some uh, blowback from salmon manipulating this situation.
0: Absolutely. There has been counter briefing and briefing at the top of the SNP, a party that has usually been pretty united, at least presented a united front, has not allowed much dissent internally, famously very top down. And now you have these two big beasts of the party really at each other's, at each other's throats. And this, this stemmed from an interview that, uh, that Nicola Sturgeon gave to Sophie Ridge on Sunday, which we covered pretty extensively on the website. I note it took a long time for the BBC to cover it and some other news organisations to pick up on just how big this story was because in it, Nicola Sturgeon read out texts that she had withheld from the Salmond inquiry um, and seemed to imply that Alex Salmond had told her to help her, uh, had asked her to help cover up the sexual assault allegations that were made against him. And now, it, it, that's pretty extraordinary either way. Either he didn't say that, and she made it up just to dump him in it, and that's pretty extraordinary, or he did say that, and she kept that quiet for months and months and months. A responsible First Minister, if someone has asked you to cover something up, would not cover up them asking you that. They, they, they would say, Alex Salmond has asked me to cover this up and I won't do that. The fact that she kept that on the wraps for months uh, is potentially pretty extraordinary.
1: The first rule of political scandals is it's always the cover-up that gets you.
0: Well, on that note, I
2: think that that's just about the rip-roaring tale through this week that <laughs> we be providing for you today. Well, as we talk, the second shadow cabinet minister has resigned. In one day, uh, we've had Margaret Greenwood, a Shadow Schools Minister, uh, resign over this uh, intelligence bill uh, and breaking the whip. So the Labour Party Shadow Front Bench is disintegrating in front of our eyes while we podcast.
0: What Keir Starmer was trying to do with this new position on um, on calling for a circuit breaker lockdown was. Present some more opposition to the government, so that potentially he could uh, win some MPs' support for where he abstains on other go- government policy, which seems to be his default. But these whipped abstentions are really riling up his backbenchers. Policy. This is the second I've heard. wind that a third one might be coming, um, and maybe the maybe there's a bit of a bit of a move there. But what a way to end the podcast on! I suppose by the time people watch and listen, half the shadow cabinet might have gone. That's an exaggeration. That won't have happened. But Starmer's not exactly presiding over a happy party. Thanks for watching. Bye.